Welcome to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. On Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud, just look for Real Estate in the 608. I'm Ben Anton. And I'm Adam Elliott. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fist curled up in a school? Thanks for waiting. That was the waiting song from Madison musician Seesaw. Welcome to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. We did just mention it's now available on Apple Podcasts. You can also ask Siri or Alexa, play Real Estate in the 608. And let's be honest, would it be too hard just to type Real Estate in the 608 in your browser? (laughs) You're showing your age, Ben. You're showing your age. Would it be too much to ask? (laughs) Careful. The voice command better do it for you now. The kids these days won't tolerate this typing you're talking about. (laughs) So what is this podcast about, Adam? Well, let me tell you. Real Estate in the 608 is a podcast for homeowners, for landlords, for people thinking about investment properties like me sometimes, and people who just want to be better at living in a house. So I think we're going to have some uh, some recurring monthly features, mm-hmm. uh, the top of the hour tip, a mm-hmm. uh, little tidbit about homeownership, something to brighten your day, a teachable moment, if you will. We'll get the market update from a broker at the Lauer Realty Group, and then we're going to get, a, get Phil's phone in. You're going to hear music throughout this because no one can tolerate your and my voice for an hour straight. We're going to fill it in with music from music. artists that are from right here in the 608. Exactly. We're surrounding ourselves with people smarter than we are for your benefit. Yep. And we'll recap everything at the end and give you all the information that happened. You don't have to sit here and take notes is what I'm saying. Sounds good. (laughs) So my name is Adam Elliott. I am a homeowner in the Madison area, former news reporter, radio personality in the Madison area as well. My name's Ben. I'm a landlord. I'm a broker at uh, Lauer Real Estate Group. And who are we going to talk to this week? Chris Mickelson, the home inspector. The home inspector? My my, my preferred my preferred home inspector. Uh-huh. The home inspector is a person that I think, in my opinion, could have a lot of power, right? Like, they could make decisions that could heavily weigh on somebody's financial future. I think when we were here with Brianne from Atwood Tax... I referred to a home inspector who will <laughs> who will remain nameless as the deal killer. Yes. This well this could be a good or bad power, I guess, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> Chris Mickelson is not the deal killer. In fact, I think uh, we have managed to work together long enough that we know how we can use the powers of the home inspector to benefit the client. Oh um, okay. And while I am always open to meeting new inspectors, I think there's some value in your real estate agent having a relationship with the inspector that they would each understand one another's process that it could be manipulated to benefit the client. So what's been going on since last time, Ben? Since we sat last, I think there has been, uh, I don't want to say significant, but a market change in the market. In the last episode, we heard from Rachel Whaley with her market update. Speaking of Madison's slide into what we would call a summer market. Mm -hmm. A summer market where the pressure to get the accepted offer before a lease end has somewhat eliminated or has been some has been eliminated. The first-time home buyer that is tied to an academic year lease mm-hmm. has either committed to a new lease or understands that their purchase will likely require a sublet. So those people aren't feeling the deadline any longer. Oh, I got you. Right. Let's just use an anecdote. I listed a home on Morningside in the Lake Edge neighborhood, mm-hmm. and while it received three offers in the first weekend, right, those offers were all from buyers who were relying on 
low or no down payment loans. Okay. Those buyers would not have been able to be competitive in a March, April, May market. I hear what you're saying. While many buyers have stepped away due to their re-signing of leases or simply having missed their opportunity or, for in some cases, having successfully gained a home, mm -hmm. we're starting to see people who were less qualified or who were not able to compete against those folks coming to the top. So now it's their time. You're saying we have a different demographic or a different audience that's a buying homes at this a point. A slightly different buyer yeah. is being allowed access to the new inventory at this mm, point. Interesting. Does that mean something then? Or is it just like, is that how it happens at I this think, time of year? I think in our city, that's rather cyclical. Every, every June, July, we start to feel summer settle in. Mm -hmm. A lot of people refer to it as festival season. Sure. You know, vacation. signs that say festival season every <laughs> once in a while. I think. It is literally <laughs> festival season. Um, and at the same time, that academic year lease cycle plays a big role. And there is a slight softening of the market as we approach summer. Interesting. And I wonder like, okay, so my brain is churning here. Do I take advantage of this? I don't know because it's like, it depends on who you are, I guess, in your situation. It depends when your lease is up, Adam. Your lease is up too, right? <laughs> But no, I would say that there are certainly going to be some opportunities in the summer and the fall that would not have been there for certain people earlier in the year when the competition was greater. Okay, interesting. Well, since last time for me, I have noticed something it's specifically on my block. My neighbor to the right and my neighbor across the street have both put their homes up for sale. Both and of your like, neighbors put their houses up for sale and sold their homes. And <laughs> they sold them already? I didn't I know. You, you probably are on the inside this more than I am. You didn't read our outline all the way to the end, Adam. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about dollars per square foot. Okay. As it relates to Jackson Street and Sudbury. All right. I was wondering if I did something wrong to offend my neighbors that they're all moving out all of a sudden. All right. That's what's been happening since last time. Uh, let's take a look at From the Headlines. One of the biggest real estate stories that I've been seeing on uh, on both uh, print and television news is the Oscar Mayer redevelopment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I think it's the what I might call the first bit of honest or actual redevelopment happening there. Um, a lot of a lot of the uh, office spaces have been have put to put to different slightly different uses, they and they were okay. partitioning it off and, and filling it as best they could. I believe maybe even thirty to forty thousand square feet has been filled with oh. with uh, with new tenants. But there is a building at the entrance to the Oscar Mayer compound, mm -hmm. um, closest to Packers Avenue. I think most would recognize it. It's a single story building with an arched rooftop, a, a brick and masonry building. I think um, I know what you're talking about. Totaling yeah. 58,000 square feet. You wouldn't really think mm -hmm. it was that big, but that building, as it was referred to as Building 20, was a, a, machi title. <laughs> was a machinist shop, and, and likely the okay. house likely housed the maintenance and, and tool-making uh, people for Oscar Mayer. Mm -hmm. um, Got to fix the Wienermobile somewhere, right? Exactly. It was probably <laughs> the, the mechanic's garage. <laughs> so the, the Wisconsin Economic Development Corp uh, just granted the city $250,000 to turn that 58,000-square-foot building into a, an 
an industrial park of sorts. Oh, okay. Uh, it will be subdivided into four suites, and uh, and we'll have some light industrial commercial uh, spaces available to uh, multiple tenants. The first of which I believe is a is an organization called the Bodgery. Did you say debauchery? I said the bodgery. The bodgery. Are you familiar with the bodgery? I don't know if I am. It's a makerspace. A makerspace. Oh, those are popular. Those are popular. Yeah. Um, as a as a Shank Atwood resident, I know mm-hmm. of Sector sixty seven. Yep, that's one of them. Yeah. They also have a building with a with a arched rooftop. Oh, is, is maybe maybe, the, maybe the arch has. Maybe those are the best kind of making happens <laughs> under those roofs. McDonald's um, better watch out. Apparently. <laughs> So that is the first. It's a nonprofit. It's a it's an organization that uh, people can join and use a space. Mm-hmm. Um, we should explain a maker space for those who are not in the know is usually a place where an artist or some type of craftsperson may go to make their thing that they make and with communally sourced spaces and yes. tools and and access to those things. Mm-hmm. It's kind or, of a it's a new kind of like hipstery kind of trend. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but like, maybe popular in a in a city where. Or with older homes, where the where the basement, where the rec room, where the where the attached okay. garage is not a given, mm-hmm. makes sense. Kind it of a hobby sense. space. So they filled one of them. Uh, the others are probably going to be more industrial space. We're talking about yeah, different businesses and, and things taken there. Uh, as as I'm doing a little bit of research, I'm seeing that uh, the Wisconsin Economic Development Corp has granted uh, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, seven hundred thousand dollars again. So there's about mm-hmm. seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in total to a private developer to um, to better the product for for market or for for a better use okay. to the consumer, and it kind of made me jealous. Yeah. You know, uh, it sounds like a lot of money. Um, is this what usually happens, or do you think this is out of the ordinary? I don't. I don't know if it is out of the ordinary. Yeah. But here I am, a guy that tries <laughs> to buy things and make them better. No one cuts me a check. Mm. But uh, I guess I guess just shining a light a little bit on the difference between the big guy and the little guy. Gotcha. Maybe you need to friend uh, the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation. Maybe Facebook. I should <laughs> you become friends with them. See if sure, that does anything. Lobbying them via <laughs> Facebook. But I think a lot of people need. It is a very big site, and yeah, it, sixty right. six. 67 acres, 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 with 1.8 million square feet of space. Okay, so what about the uh, the big and small, the most expensive and the least expensive? So we talked about the most expensive at the least expensive sales in or about the 608, mm-hmm. and that started to get repetitive. Mm-hmm. We talked about Farwell Drive a few times in Maple mm-hmm. Bluff. We talked, and oddly enough, we talked about Edgerton. <laughs> right. We talked about two different houses that at $60,000 or so were the least expensive homes to sale in Edgerton. So I thought... Let's have a look at the biggest and the smallest. The smallest house, and, I'm, and again, I broadened the scope a little bit. We'd been looking at Dane County, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, the six hundred eight goes a little bit, a little bit further than than just Dane County. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the smallest house sold even in the last since the beginning of the year. I also broadened the scope okay. a little bit there, so we'd get a good sample. A three hundred and twenty-five foot square house in Richland Center. Three hundred and twenty-five square feet. That's, that's, tiny. that's everything. That's pretty small. That is a that is a one bedroom, one bath, living room. There ain't all much in more. One, right? <laughs> I hope <laughs> there's a door on the bathroom. <laughs> there were all the all the rooms were quite small. I was trying to figure out the dimensions based on the measurements of the rooms, and I couldn't because there was only the three rooms really. <laughs> 
It makes me think of that makes me think of the the Blues Brothers with Elwood's little apartment that was right next to the L train. Like, how much bigger can it be? That was probably three hundred and twenty five square feet. Wow. I would have met yeah. that may have been smaller, but this is the whole a whole house. <laughs> but uh, twenty five thousand dollars, Richland Center twenty five. And, right. and just since we're talking about it a little bit today. $76 per square foot. Oh, this was so that, a whole house. It's a whole too, house. Right? It was cute. It, I would call it a cottage. It was very a little itty bitty thing. Is this but it wasn't like in bad shape. The mini house, the small houses, the people, the new development that are tiny, like house? tiny houses. It was, it was certainly tiny, but it, <laughs> but it was not on wheels. It was not no, mobile. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but just the same, an awful small little place, 320, 325 square feet. That's, wow. that's about the size of most people's kitchen and living room combined. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe even just a good sized living room on the West side. Uh, all right. How about the Godzilla of houses in Madison? Then? All right. So first, again, we, we've expanded our scope. We're looking at the entire South Central is, Wisconsin yeah. MLS. Right. And, and let's, and let's talk a little bit. We'll just, we'll just put it aside. There were several houses in Middleton that were 5,500 square feet to 6,500 square feet. Yeah. They sell for about 1 to 1.5 million. Right. They are out there. You need a big house. You don't have to drive that far. Mm-hmm. And Middleton's a fine place to live. It is. But we're, we're, looking, we're looking a little bit beyond Dane County. Um, so we find ourselves in a foreclosure in the Wisconsin Dells. Okay. Right. 7,600 square feet. Does that include garage space? That does not include garage space. space. That's just like interior living space. Yeah, this is four bedrooms, five bathrooms. There's only four bedrooms? Only the, they, were, they were awful big. <laughs> they put awful be big. monsters. And, uh, and, 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 and picked up for a meager $686,000. Wow. If from the Dells, though, right? In the, the Dells. Dells area? Well, not, not only was it in the Dells, so, you know, or not in the Middleton schools or whatever those people are paying for. Mm-hmm. But uh, but a foreclosure, and something that was bank owned, it did not look as if it had uh, had been lived in or cared for in a bit. There was the the photos I'm looking at here. There's snow in the driveway. No one's shoveling. No one's living there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're probably paying a lot of money each month just to keep that place warm so the pipes don't freeze. I think it was like a second house, like a Chicago person drove up for Dell's vacation place for the weekend or something. It looked like it looked like that kind mm-hmm. of money. It mm-hmm. looked like a little bit of a castle, all masonry and stone <laughs> exterior. Uh, but yeah, 90, 90 days on the market. It took a little bit to sell. Closed in April. And uh, six hundred eighty-six thousand. It seems really cheap. Two acres, super cheap. I don't know if that's the, the going rate right in the Dells. Well, I'll say nine. And then we're gonna we'll t- throw this out there. Yeah. Ninety dollars a square foot. That's so, only twenty dollars more than the <laughs> smallest one <laughs> per square foot. Right. right? <laughs> and when you when you buy a very small house, uh-huh. the per square foot cost is going to be a little bit higher. Okay. Because oh, right. because you know it it, ha- oh, it still gotcha. has yeah. the same things. Uh-huh. It has one bathroom, one kitchen, just packed into a little box. Okay. The fact that this was a uh, an REO, a real estate owned uh, property, a bank owned property. Did it have an airplane hangar in it? Like, it did can not. I land my airplane in there. It was in, a in a, it was in a wooded two acre <laughs> parcel, so there wouldn't have been room for a runway. <laughs> have to take out some trees. <laughs> As yeah. we're talking about dollars per square foot, yeah, which is a key factor that we that you always look at. You t- you taught me this actually to not look at like necessarily the price, but the dollar per square foot that you're getting, and that actually can be one of the key things that could inform you whether or not to go for something to buy it. Or whether not. or not it is a relative value. Thank you. Yes, it's trying to compare apples to apples. You can't do that always, but mm-hmm. it's an easy broad stroke kind of assessment. I like that. I like it. Um, 
Recent sale on Jackson Street. Mm-hmm. That's where I live. $250 a square foot. Okay. That was for a house. And again, dollar, higher. dollars per square foot is right. going to be reflected in the level of finish or how nice it is. Okay. The same exact house, obviously, mm-hmm. if it's got nicer finishes, it will sell for more. It will sell for a higher dollars per square foot. Same size as the mm-hmm. lesser home with lesser finishes. Okay. So $250 a square foot on Jackson right. is going to get you a decent house. So kind of central-ish Madison east side kind of right around there. Decent. Okay. Needs a little work, but... You can live in it mm-hmm. and be happy there. Mm-hmm. Now, Sudbury. Yep. Far, further live, east side. Further east. Yep. Houses are bigger. Lots are bigger. Mm-hmm. Houses are not necessarily less expensive. Mm-hmm. They are a bit, but they're also much bigger. Right. Yep. You typically get a two-car garage. You get maybe a ranch-style house with a second floor, two, three bedrooms. You're going to be looking at 1,500 square feet at, at least, probably, mm-hmm. on up to 2,500 square feet of the big ones. Okay. So you you mentioned your two neighbors having both sold. One, oh, 01 and 02, right across the street from one another. Mow my lawn better, I guess. One of those sold for $115 a square foot. Okay. And the other, 128 all right, so and I guess I can say that that's in the same ballpark. There's similar the bigger prices. one uh-huh. was more expensive, but because it was bigger, the dollars per square foot was lower. Okay, so the smaller home mm-hmm. sold for one twenty eight, the bigger one for one fifteen. All right, should I? Is this a red flag? Do I need to be worried about anything? Is this good no. news? No, this is, is it just what it is. This is what it is. This is what it is. You live in a different neighborhood. You've got a house that's bigger than mine. Mm-hmm. Because the houses in your neighborhood are bigger. They're slightly bigger. Okay. Our in-studio guest today is Chris Mickelson of the Oregon Stoughton Mickelsons. He is a home inspector, <laughs> owner of Madison's Best Home Inspections, landlord, homeowner, father, and husband to a teacher. Mm-hmm. Very good. I'm I look- say that because that's extra skills. I tried it. It's hard. Oh, yeah. They'll correct you all the time. Hopefully, it doesn't have a, like a red marker. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. We'll take a, br- a quick break uh, for the top of the hour, too. There's no way. listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. It's time for the top of the hour tip. In with the top of the hour tip today is Rachel Whaley with the Lauer Realty Group. Take it away, Rachel. Hello, I'm Rachel Whaley with the top of the hour tip. Today we're here to talk about homeowners insurance. When you go to buy your house, you're in the process of buying it, you're doing your loan app, you're getting all the docs to the lender and you have to get homeowner's insurance and you kind of rush to do that. Well, after you've been in your home a good two to three years, it's not a bad idea to take some time, shop around, review your policies, make sure that your coverage is appropriate. You know, maybe you've gotten a different car and you've, you know, realized that maybe there is some additional coverage that you need. But Every two to three years, it's not a bad idea to review your policies and do a little shopping. Every two to three years, you could be in kind of a different place in life and maybe have added policies, Mm -hmm. which would uh, help you achieve different discounts. I know that it seems the more insurance I buy, the more discounts I get because I have other insurance. Yeah, and if you switch companies, they'll give you a new customer discount. I'll last a little while, shop around, do it all over again. And uh, and hopefully, hopefully we haven't made any claims. Hopefully. Thank you, Rachel. That was Rachel Whaley with the Lauer Realty Group. And with the top of the hour tip, talking a little bit about insurance. 
We're here with Chris Mickelson, a handy fellow, a home inspector, and antique car enthusiast. Oh. But is he true. fun? Yeah. How will we find this out, Ben? We find out if Chris is fun by playing a game we call The Way It Used to Be. There used to be. There used to be. There used to be. Used to be nothing but smiling faces far as the eye could see. Car in every driveway, swinging every tree. People can't stop talking about the way things used to be. Chris, the way it used to be is Get to Know You Game, a quiz game of Madison history and or place questions. Well, as a disclaimer, Ben, I was not born and raised in Madison. I was born and raised in Oregon, Wisconsin, just south of here. Oh, uh, he's already trying to for, weasel No, no, no. I'm <laughs> just trying to explain any wrong answers I give. All right. Um, well, I, I knew that. As I said earlier... Chris Mickelson of the Stoughton and Oregon Mickelsons. That's mm-hmm. right. And it was before the mic was turned on, but he already said oofta, oofta. one time, okay. which which means that some of my questions might be spot on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, and if we didn't say it, Chris, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Adam. It, it is a pleasure to have you here. And it's a pleasure to be here. Conversation. <laughs> All right. The first, the, <laughs> first, the first question is inspired by your antique car enthusiasm. Okay. It made me think of drive-in theaters. Oh, yes. Because who who doesn't think about jumping in the old Chevy or the old station wagon and parking it backwards <laughs> and catching a, catching a movie at the at the uh, at the drive-in yeah. theater. Kids under 18 cuz they've never heard of them. <laughs> the same people that that are willing to type in in that's the right. 608.com. Yeah, that's right. All right. So today, the nearest drive-in theater nearest to us here in Madison is on Highway 18 in Jefferson. Mm-hmm. I think uh, many would likely recall the Big Sky Drive-In, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. there's a street named for it, the Big Sky Drive. Easy to remember. Uh, where the Marcus Cinema on the west side is now. Can you, Chris, name the drive-in theater formerly located on Madison's east side at Highway 51 and Kinsman Boulevard? It's there until 1989. Mm. So I'm thinking you may have had a chance to park there. Mm, I did not. I cannot answer that question. Sorry, Ben. All right. Well, there'll be no bell for you. Mm-hmm. No bell. It was called the Badger Drive-In. Oh. The Badger, right. Badger Drive-In, a close September 4th, 1989. A couple of the farewell double features included Karate Kid 3, <laughs> okay. Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> We're already in sequel <laughs> land here, guys. <laughs> Star Trek 5, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, and Indiana, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Which is Indiana Jones 3. What's <laughs> it? Now, <laughs> I introduced my dirt girls to the, to the drive-in. In the Dells. There's one up there. Oh, yeah. And oddly uh-huh. enough, we saw the new Ghostbusters and Star Trek Nine. So those are just, oh. evidently, those are just good drive-in uh, franchises. Sure. Uh, all right. So we did not hear the bell. Um, I do remember going to Eastgate Cinema when it was in the middle of nowhere, which was earlier than 89, but I don't ever remember making it to the Badger. And yeah. now it's not even there. Is, no. well, the, is the building still there? The building stands, mm-hmm. they're parking cars in it because the car, the dealerships are right there. So it's just like perfect for car dealerships. This next one, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to a former newsman, Adam Elliott, yes, for a pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the, uh, the 17th of May. The 17th of May, I think we're talking about Set and Demai. Set and Demai. Set and Demai, yes. Right. Big event in the Stoughton. Big event. Yes. So Chris should be good here. S- say it again. Set and Demai. Set and Demai yeah. is celebrated each spring in Stoughton with a festival and charity run. 
Mm-hmm. What does the date, the 17th of May, commemorate? Ooh, I think it has something to do with the writing of the Constitution of Norway. How oh, is that? I think that's right. Is that right? Yeah. That is that's... that is correct. In the uh, Here's a little history well for done, you. Well done, Chris. Well Thank done. Thank you. Yeah. Got the bell. All Good right. job. That's all I was trying In for the today. aftermath of the Napoleonic Wars, the Norwegians gathered on May 17th, 1814, in the small village of Eidsvoll to ratify their own constitution, which established Norway as an independent country. Norwegians throughout the world continue to celebrate said Namai as the Norwegian Constitution Day. It's fantastic. So, so here's here's a little. A this time. is fun Stoughton stuff too. Here, uh, in 1950. 75% of Stoughton residents spoke Norwegian. As their first language? No, not as their not first Not as their language. first language. Yeah. They were able, to, <laughs> were able to speak Norwegian. And then it was in 1967 that... Send ...became an official uh, event that was taken over by the uh, Chamber of Commerce and has, has carried on even till today. Oh, very cool. Now the... Uh, who's the, the, the famous lady? The heavy metal grandma, I think, or the heavy metal mom shows up for Set and Demai. It's, 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 it's made national news. She's like... She's There's a done... sign welcoming her as well. I yeah. Think. I saw a sign last time I drove through Stoughton. <laughs> but good for her. Good for Stoughton. Lovely, right. lovely yeah. post office there. Mm-hmm. Recently went to get the uh, a passport updated. And you, you, you went to Stoughton? You get outside the city, you don't have to wait as long. Oh. So yeah, the girls and I last two Saturdays ago we went down to Stoughton, nice bakery across the street. Hostels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not too far uh-huh. from the Opera House. That's true. Where I saw Cloud Cult. Oh. Yeah, that was it was a it was a dark time. Did they offer Kool-Aid? I hope not. Uh-huh. All right. You got one bell, one right, one wrong. Well done. Or yeah. the one right and the other you just didn't get. So <laughs> we we're all about positivity here. Question three. The off Broadway tavern. Off Broadway in Monona, adjacent Southtown, went by what name until about 2016? That was the South Bay Lounge. That is correct. Yeah, that's right. Well done. Thank you. South Bay Lounge. I would have also accepted the Airway Tavern. Okay. I think before that, it was the South Town Lounge. Ring that bell again. Ring in the extra credit, <laughs> extra credit. I was creeping well on your done. Facebook, Chris, for some of these questions. <laughs> and that one jumped out to me. The, uh, the, the Off-Broadway is mm-hmm. owned by um, a fellow named Joe. Okay. Who also owns Taco John's mm-hmm. on Monona. Oh, all right. Who at one point in the late 90s would have been my... Was kind of my, I worked at Taco John's. Oh, you did? He did not come around to the Regent Street location very much, but he was the boss. Can you still set us up with some potato olays? They're pretty decent mm-hmm. snacks. <laughs> Every once in a while, I get a special request from Lola. And we, and we, we head to Monona for some potato olays. Uh, the Airway Tavern, though. The Southtown used to be an airport. Southtown was point. an airport. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's a thing. That is a thing. I uh, think there's pictures of Amelia Earhart. The Royal, the Royal Airport. Is that what it was called? Yeah, there's oh. down there. There's a Royal Drive, I mm-hmm. think, as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was an airport, and they uh, it was the Madison Airport before Truax. Look at all you're learning here See, today. All the teachable moments. I was going to try to focus on that today. Teachable moments. We talked a lot about dollars per square foot, That's right. and when we talked to Chris about the way it used to be and his first house, I'm hoping he'll have a few gems for us. You are listening to Real Estate in the 608. My name is Adam Elliott. He is Ben Anton. Our guest in studio today is Chris Mickelson, home inspector, handyman, and landlord. Uh, Chris, once again, thank you for joining us today. You you did very well in the way it used to be. The questions were tough today. 
Ben agrees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about in the beginning, though. In the beginning, we like to just kind of take us back, if you will, Chris. We want to hear about, you know, we can ask you all kinds of questions about being a home inspector, but this show is as much about home ownership. Sure. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter that you're a home inspector, but it didn't matter when you bought your first house. Right. Tell us about that first house. Where'd you buy it? Why'd you buy it? Give us a story. The first house I bought with my wife was on the east side of Madison, um, 2010, I believe, 2011. We really liked the neighborhood. We loved the house. I loved the garage because I had an extra large garage, especially for the east side. We did have a home inspector. It was pretty much already sold without the inspection. We had our mindset on this house. We really wanted the house. The inspection was just more or less... Uh, a detailed list of things that we had to do in the future. It was a, our project list. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that, I would say that is almost always the case. Sure. Um, for me and my buyers, we don't, I've never uh, wrote an offer for a customer that was contingent. I mean, they all are contingent mm-hmm. on inspection, but it's more of an opportunity for educating mm-hmm. and for potentially negotiating if we find some kind of issue. So you're saying but, that doesn't happen often. Is the, the thing where the, the buyer would have to say, this thing has to be fixed before I'm buying this. You're, you're saying that doesn't happen too often anymore or to, at all? In today's yeah. market, yeah. Uh, buyers are a lot more accepting of, of defects. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a little bit about defects in a bit or the, the formal definition of defect because mm-hmm. that's something that, I, that I've shared with Chris. And, and I talk about it's the only thing in the offer to purchase that I really make people read. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can, for the most part, summarize and give the gist of, of most, and God knows if that's even legal for me to do. Right. Um, that's the important part, though. reading the definition of defect is something that, that I require of all my buyers. Chris, did you say where the place was or what neighborhood you were looking at or that um, you landed in, I should my say? My wife teaches on the mist, on the... East Side, if I'm allowed to say the name of the school, it's uh, Whitehorse Middle School. Sure, yeah. um, so she wanted something in the area. We live off of Fair Oaks and Milwaukee Street in that little area there. Mm-hmm. So that, we're in is the, that we're East Moreland. We're in the Worthington Park. Worthington Park. Okay. On uh, adjacent the rail corridor there, mm-hmm. where Saint, where the railroad and the bike path comes across is Milwaukee Street. Gotcha. Were you a home inspector at the time? Did your home not. inspector no. inspire you to become a home inspector in the future? Our home inspector gave me a lot of ideas on what not to do. <laughs> Sometimes that's the yes. best way to learn uh, things. We right? were not very happy with our <laughs> inspector, nor the report, nor the price, or. So he gave me a lot of ideas later on when I decided to become a home inspector. Gotcha. Okay. And you, you mentioned the first house you bought with your wife. What Did you have a house before that? My wife owned half a duplex in Oregon shortly after we met. Then when we got married, I moved in there. We lived there for a while. Um, when we decided to move to Madison, we kept that as a rental. And we also owned the other half of the duplex. So that is our rental property. And that's all we have, but that's enough for us. Oh, that that's yeah. plenty. And, that and we've, yeah. we've talked about maybe now in the 75% of our guests, because we've had a few that mm-hmm. that didn't buy their first home as a two-flat or a side or duplex, but a good number of our guests thus far have uh, their first home was was a duplex. Yep. At one, perhaps, or in many cases that they, that they maintain, to, or they still own. 
Mm-hmm. And the hint here is, is if you're, if you out there listening to us right now are looking to get into investment properties, that's a potential path that right. a lot of people have taken. Owner-occupied multi-unit. Mm-hmm. Financing is easier. Managing is easier. A lot of things are easier. And at the time, we felt it was probably just as easier to keep it and rent it out as it would be to sell it. I mean, it was a, you know, a desirable property for Oregon. Oregon's a real up-and-coming mm-hmm. area, and rental property is hard to find. So we decided just to keep it and play our cards, and it's been working out pretty good. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, these days, nice choice. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Call. And it gives you an opportunity to do a little work for yourself mm-hmm. every once in a while instead of working for Ben and Rhonda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys are keeping me busy. Thank you. <laughs> Why don't we take a break for the market update? It's time for the market update. Market Update is a service of Lauer Realty Group at 2229 Atwood Avenue and online at lauerrealtygroup.com. In with today's Market Update is Rachel Whaley. Take it away, Rachel. Thanks, Ben. We were talking about the market and how busy the spring was. And as June and then July hits, people start going on vacation and take breaks and they're traveling and they're just busy with their kids at home, out of school. There's less going on. There's less going on. Yeah, I'm going away for a little bit. People are going away. So if you're thinking about selling your house, you know, try to think about what are the buyers doing? Where's my where's my pool of buyers? What are, what are they up to? So July tends to be a little bit quiet as people vacation into August. But, you know, middle August, September, October, better time to list. Got to think about that market pool. If you're a buyer that's still looking in July and early August, you know, you're going to see some price reduction, reductions. You may be able to write some low offers. So it might be a good time to kind of sneak in there before the next rush of buyers comes in. Not necessarily going to feel the same level of competition here in the heat of summer. That's Is that true. What I'm hearing? Yep. Yep. All right. Thank you very much, Rachel, for the market update. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. You can find us online at inthe608.com. I mentioned making uh, my customers read uh, the definition of defect. When we, do you remember right. that, Adam? I do when remember. We bought a house, I, I, I do said, vaguely remember it. I said, all right, the rest of this is all just boilerplate, but I want you to read this. If I recall correctly, and this has been four or five years removed, it was somewhat legal-ish terminology. Or it was something that I felt like, okay, I think I understand what this means. <laughs> well, it, it, is, it is both very specific, but it is also very vague. Okay. So here, I'm going to give right. it to you. A defect is a condition that would have a significant adverse effect on the value of the property that would significantly impair the health or safety of future occupants of the property, or that if not repaired, removed, or replaced, would significantly shorten or adversely affect the expected normal life of the premises. Okay. So when you say that, I'm thinking, one, human safety concern, or two, the house... Could, things could go bad mm-hmm. with the house exactly. if, you, if you don't fix these things in time. Right. Or, yeah. or then the other one was they have a significant effect on the value of the property. Okay. Or the cost of the place. Right. Yeah. So, and, th- and those are the three things or the three uh, aspects of the definition that a home inspector can be relied on to discover. Okay. Now, I'm going to suggest, and Chris maybe will back us up here. 
you're going to point out a lot more than just those things, aren't you? In my reports, I point out more or less FYI things that will help the, the home buyer, especially if they're the first time home buyer. I'll point out things like safety valves, furnace filters, um, and I also put in uh, the serial numbers of appliances and furnace and air conditioners so they know how old everything is to, to give them a, a good idea of their life expectancy. So it's as much a, a get-to-know-you experience with the house. Kind of like a, a user's guide. Okay. <laughs> I, I've often, re- or I, maybe not here, but um, I have referred to the inspection as naked with the lights on. Mm-hmm. It is it is often an uncomfortable experience. You've 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 gone to see it at the open house. You went there with your agent. You in this market, you know you're one of many people vying for this house. Mm-hmm. You open your heart to it. You you write your offer. You show you, you give you, you know, say this is I will pay all this money and I'll do all these things. Mm-hmm. Now you've got it, and you walk into that same house. A few days after the accepted offer, maybe a week later, the house isn't clean anymore. They haven't taken the same attention to detail and prettying the home. You know, they, they've got their accepted offer now. They have got back to living in their house. And you're going to ask someone to point out everything wrong with this house that you just offered so much money for. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, a, it, it's that, it's naked with the lights on. You are listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. Uh, he is Ben Anton. My name is Adam Elliott. We're speaking with Chris Mickelson, uh, home inspector, handyman, and landlord. And the inspector takes the emotion out of looking at the house. A lot of the buyers, it's kind of hard to see with rose-colored glasses what the, the issues might be in a house, where an inspector comes in with a, a neutral uh, point of view and just kind of tells you the facts. Here's what here's what it is. Nice. Um, Chris, in your own words, I think you kind of just described it right there. When you, What should the home inspector do for somebody? One of the things I think a home inspector should be is fair, honest, neutral, and just informative. Just to give the, the buyer as much information of the house as they can without making a big deal out of something that might not be a big deal, but also um, stressing out um, the importance of certain things. Do you like Ben's analogy of naked with the lights on? It's a good. Of, it's a good analogy. I like when he says that, and, <laughs> and the buyers like, "Oh, yeah, I guess it is." <laughs> it's okay. I still think you're pretty. <laughs> what's the What's the most common thing you find that people are likely to get likely to get taken care of as part of the sale? Now, and you may not. You may not know this because after you deliver your report, you step away. Yep. I usually don't see a whole lot of the aftermath of the inspection. I, After the inspection, a lot of times I don't hear anything about what happened, if the deal fell through, what got negotiated on. It really depends on the buyer's comfort level, how badly they want the house, again, the, the possible issues that come up. If you had, if you had, if you're going through a place and, 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 um, well, let's say someone didn't want to get a home inspection. Mm-hmm. What was what? But you could look for one thing. What would the one thing you would have people check for be? I would say radon. Radon's a, a safety thing that a lot of people don't think about. 
somewhat serious health concern. Radon's possible carcinogen, right? Yes, it is. It could be very dangerous for the health of... The second leading cause of lung cancer behind smoking. All right. How often does that happen in Madison? I mean, it it doesn't necessarily have to do with, like, location, right? Nope. Um, One house could have high radon, and the house next door could have low radon. It really depends on what's going on in the earth, in the soil, below the house. Hmm. Interesting. We talked about we talked a little bit about the the hectic pace of the market. It would be my experience that in a faster paced market, fewer people mm-hmm. are testing for radon. Mm-hmm. Would you Would you agree? I agree with that. Yes, That's probably because their damn agent says, "Don't you dare mm-hmm. put a radon contingency in there." That sounds like cutting a corner to me. That sounds like cutting a dangerous corner. All right. Well, here's yeah. here's what I tell my buyers, uh, and Chris, you can. Well, both of you. I'd like, I'd like, maybe you can both tell me what you think about this. Please do. Uh, including a radon contingency mm-hmm. will make your offer less competitive because it is yeah. giving you the opportunity to tell the seller something they don't know mm-hmm. and that might cost them $1,000. So if I could accept this offer over here as a sure thing, or I can accept your offer, which might be for $1,000 less and a hassle... And there is the chance that you could tell me this is wrong with my house. And if the deal doesn't go through, now I have been made aware that my house has this issue and I would be obligated to fix it. And you may have wandered off because your financing contingency didn't come through because the inspection, because something happened. Now I've got a house where I'm required as the seller to disclose a high level of radon in the basement or to spend $1,000 and get a radon mitigation system. Okay. I, I hear what you're saying. You would also then tell that person, like, if we bypass it and don't do the test or the contingency, get this checked before you move in. Right? Here's, mm-hmm. here's, what yeah. I, here's what I tell them about <laughs> yeah. that. I say, if you get a, a, radon in, a radon test and the testing contingency is different than the inspection, it's a whole different, it's a mm-hmm. whole different box to check. If you are going to get a radon test, if that is something that is a concern to you, if you do it during the inspection, it's going to cost about 100 125 bucks. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's, it has a cost, a significant cost, because they're using a high-tech machine that monitors sure. and can give you a report back immediately. Mm-hmm. Now, you can go to Home Depot or Menards or even online and find a, find a mail-away test for like 18 or 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not expensive. So if you're doing it as part of your offer, it's going to cost you 100 bucks. Or you do it later, it's going to cost you twenty. So that's an eighty dollars mm-hmm. spread right there. So you can you're if you do it later, you're guaranteed to save eighty bucks. But you might need to get the system, right? Mm-hmm. It's about eight hundred to a thousand dollars. But in my anecdotal non-science experience, is about one in ten. Okay, one in ten tests come back. That sounds about right. And Chris says anecdotal. Sounds about right. So if it really is one in 10, you're better off to spend the $20 test and roll the dice one in 10 on that $800 or $1,000 expense. You will literally be money ahead. It's going to be a hassle. <laughs> you have a little work to do. But you, not only are we going to make a more competitive offer, but you'll be, there's the likelihood via our anecdotal math... <laughs> What's the one thing that you would note that people never end up fixing? Hmm. 
I mean, I hope it's not the radon system. <laughs> Good God. And again, and again, you wander off and, and you're done you're right, after yeah. the inspection. But I, I just have a feeling that there are so many things that the inspector's going to tell you that ain't right. And the next time the house sells, the inspector's going to say, that ain't mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And oh, that, I, I know what this one thing is in my house right what now. What is that one thing well, in Well, I don't house? want to spoil it, Chris, because I want you to give... <laughs> well, you can give me a hint. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's the water heater. They told me this water heater is, like, ancient already. Sure. And the thing is still running. I still have a hot shower in the morning. I'm like... Well, if I it guess ain't I broke, don't, don't, don't fix it, That's right? right. It's still running. It clanks a little bit every now and then, but... My uh, another another one of my favorite home inspectors, and you've probably heard me say this because I, I I give it give him credit when I say it, but the only thing wrong with that furnace is that it still works. <laughs> <laughs> and and every once in a while you sell a house as as I am in the process of doing on uh, a, with a twenty five to thirty year old furnace, the old ones last longer. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you got that going for you. Mm-hmm. The only thing wrong with that furnace is that it still works. <laughs> Have you ever noted that in a report? I have not used those words. I, I don't think that would be appreciated very well by the agents. Tell me, like, the furnace process when you go in. You said you note the serial number, yep. and that gives you a date and an age, I'm guessing, of yeah, like when it was in. Just to give the buyers kind of a, a, I don't know about a crystal ball, but just an idea of how long the furnace might last i also note if the furnace has been maintained and checked and cleaned regularly which seems to help uh with the longevity of the the unit itself gotcha and all this kind of turns into like a tutorial like here's here's what i found sure do with it what you will but like this is what i'm seeing yeah these are my recommendations these are what most people would recommend uh in the industry um if you want to do it if you want to check it every year or two that's up to you and i will never know if you don't Right, right. Because you're out. I'm you're out. out. You're on to the next one. You, you are can, an important cog in the machine. You can include me going, in, in your yearly family newsletter if you want, but <laughs> I, I, I haven't gotten one yet. <laughs> it is Chris, our inspector of the Christmas tree. <laughs> it's great. It's this great Christmas will be a little light under the tree because we need a new furnace. Yep, and we didn't get a radon test. <laughs> Let's take a break. You are listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. Uh, Welcome back, and thank you for joining us as we're continuing through our podcast journey. My name is Adam Elliott. Uh, Ben Anton is just across the table from me. And in studio, we have Chris Mickelson, a home inspector, who's answering uh, all of our home inspector questions and doing a fine job Thank you. I'm doing the best I can. Yes. Thank you for being here again, Chris. So, Chris, uh, do you meet... Your, do you meet most buyers via other agents, or do you are you contacted uh, directly by the buyer? Most of my inspections are referrals through agents. Because you're somebody's favorite. Somebody's favorite, or the agent likes my work, they know I do a good job, they like my reports, whatever it could be. Well, that would make that would make you their favorite. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> you're not my yeah. favorite because you're a schmuck. No, that's true. <laughs> um, I talked a little bit earlier about um, our having worked together, and we we you know you develop a rapport, you understand each each other's uh, systems, mm-hmm. and then often those systems can be manipulated or adjusted on a on a on a buyer by buyer basis mm-hmm. to benefit the the argument um, in a market where where there's an opportunity for argument or negotiating. I may need Chris, or I, I often ask Chris to to highlight particular issues 
um, let's you know while he's always gonna gonna going to note um, every 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 issue that he's uncovered, I'll often ask that he highlight or focus on on a few um, or perhaps expound a little bit um, because those are the ones that I think are going to get the most traction when we go back and try to negotiate either for a fix or for some kind of credit, et cetera. Can you give me an example of something that you're talking about? Let's say it's an older home, knob and tube wiring. I talked a lot about it. We had, mm-hmm. I had quite a few deals uh, with knob and tube. And, and often um, I'll take a screwdriver from Chris and I'll, and I'll go poking around for it a little bit more because I know that's something that is a defect mm-hmm. because it has an effect not only on the value of the premises, but in, according to the numbers and the Insurance Institute, likely on the safety of future occupants as well. Sure. Um, so oftentimes we'll do a little bit more looking and a couple extra photos and a few and uh, make sure that, that the report um, has, has a, a, you know, highlights that and makes it as much of an issue as my buyer feels it is mm-hmm. uh, versus saying potentially knob and tube, you know, refer to licensed electrician. A lot of reports... Um, We'll say that. And Chris is due too. Mm-hmm. But um, because we've worked together long enough and because we know how one another operate, we can often um, shine a light here and uh, let the rest of it fall into the, the list. What does it take to be a home inspector? Yep, yeah. there's licensing, classing, classes, uh, tests you have to take. You need to maintain um, continuing education credits every year. And it really helps if you have a background in the trades. It helps if Mm -hmm. you can go in and what you see is something that you worked on before. You can understand what is wrong, why it's wrong, possibly how to fix it. Yep. And that's so you can get the license. You Mm -hmm. can go through the classes and stuff. Mm -hmm. But what does it it mean to be a real home inspector to you? Is it that that merging of like the the education and the trades work? I think so. I think... uh, the past knowledge, um, the ability to work with the buyers, I mean, the social part of it, there's the report writing. I guess there's just a lot of different angles that, that go into it. Yeah. I, I think I would agree with the um, the working with people mm-hmm. because I think there's a big trust factor oh, that yeah. happens mm-hmm. when you're bringing people in. You, I, you know, I know some of these things. I have some family work in the trades and I see things and they talk about and I've helped on projects that they've done, but I couldn't tell you, you know, how to square a room. So I put my trust in somebody who I think knows these things. And, and how the, the inspector presents these issues to you also has um, an effect on how you maybe end up feeling about the house and the whole deal. Very much so, right. Uh, I remember the report that I had was it was this binder and I think you described exactly what it was. It was like a, a tutorial or something mm-hmm. or like a guide instruction mm-hmm. and you know these are the things that I'm thinking are important that you should look at or mm-hmm. consider, you know, if you do choose this house. Mm-hmm. Do you do you remember, Adam, who did your inspection? Boy, I, it was a gentleman that uh, I can't remember his name. Right. I wonder hands. if it was Ron. Was it Ron Miller? Oh boy, I still got the report. He's what he's yeah. probably he's probably well he's he's tied for favorite. But okay. uh, but Ron has been in the business a long time, um, and probably like works like he does his two two a day, and it's <laughs> <laughs> all he does. <laughs> and sometimes right. <laughs> and sometimes that means he's booked out. Um, and that's probably how I first met Chris. Um, Ron teaches the class at MATC today. 
Uh, when I took it, though, 16 years ago, it was taught by a fellow named Tom Jones, no relation. Um, it's not unusual. Did you did you take the class at Madison College? I did. I met Ron. He teaches a good class. Yeah. No, he's a good guy. And and and, uh, and slowly, some of the older fellas, um, they're doing their reports on paper and carbon copies. Oh. Uh, and that's one of the things, too, that I think where Chris... Uh, it's a little bit more common uh, to have a digital or an emailed report oh, right. with photos and color mm-hmm. photos. I and think things. you would expect that now. You might yeah. even question the validity of like you might, who's yeah. inspecting your home if you it's might. not like delivered. The that deal way. killer yeah. doesn't have pictures in his reports. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, I, and I'm going to bring up the deal killer one more one time because I think this is also uh, even if even if we just say this this one thing, Chris's job, a home inspector's job, is not to tell you what is or is not up to code. That is not what a home inspector does. Okay. The deal killer puts that all over his report. This does not meet current oh. code. Does not meet current code. Does not meet current... You want to know why it doesn't meet current code? Because it was built 50 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm. That's why we can't talk about code. Is that and right? A, and a good inspector probably has it in their agreement that they are not a code inspector. Oh, because so they cannot know the code from the day it was built or the time that that was installed. And I, I think yeah. a, a home inspector should know current codes, um, whether or not they refer to them or they they nail them down is another thing. Yeah, I mean, there, there's all kinds of things that blur that line. Mm-hmm. Here's here's one is uh, ground fault circuit interrupter. Outlets. Do you know what that is? GFCI. GFCI. You see them in your bathroom or your kitchen. If your kitchen is up to code, you would have GFCI outlets. What about if your kitchen was put together in 1950 and no one's touched it since? That's one of the areas where a home inspector might say these should be GFCI, and an agent might refer to that as a defect because it does impair the health or safety. Mm. So, so sometimes something that's not to code might be considered a defect in today's market. Gotcha. Uh, I word things like that as a safety upgrade. I would recommend a GFCI as a safety upgrade um, based on current standards. I mean, it's something that you should consider adding. But, again, it's not required because it hasn't been touched in 50 years. Now, if you can tell mm-hmm. that kitchen was just remodeled, and there's no GFCI protection. That means somebody did it That's themselves, right. which is going to raise an eyebrow, and you're going to start looking harder at mm-hmm. everything else. You're going to say, okay, this guy's handy, put a basement rec room in, and redid the kitchen, maybe without permits, if there's no GFCI outlet. You might look up the permitting. You might take a harder look at the rest of those finishes to see if, if everything was done correctly. Is that right, Chris? How how much scrutiny? Like, if you found a place where you're like, "Whoa, you can," we got to start looking around the corners and under the covers you, here. You can usually walk into a place that has been done by someone who maybe didn't specialize in the trades. You can kind of get little clues, and then you start to look around a little harder. You can kind of smell around a little harder. What's the What's the tell then? What's What oh, would you say is the one that you see? Fit and finish. I think overall fit and finish of things. Um, maybe little. Drywall that's not quite uh, evened out real well. Tile that maybe is not grouted real well. Tile that's not cut real well. Just 
little little things, <laughs> edges. I think and a edges. lot of place, a lot of times where one finish meets another, mm-hmm. uh, transitions are often often where you see, or, you know. Um, I was called out in my last house because there was this one wire that I know in my basement was not up to code. Uh, it was just running along the wall to the box, going to the near the washer to an outlet there, and I put piping so i put it in mm-hmm. to, conduit. into conduit thank you yes i should know these things mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to and i use like l corners and mm-hmm. stuff and they're like i knew you did that yourself i was like how do you know it's because he used l corners he didn't bend it it's one of those things you just it. lived with it <laughs> didn't bother you it didn't affect you you just you just lived with it and it was protected as it should it was be. protected yes yeah it made it at the end there all right, uh, why don't we take a break uh, for Phil's phone-in, who's going to give us the latest. Give us a look beyond the 608. It's time for Phil's phone-in. Phil Plort is my business partner in Deacon Housing. He's president of Blimling & Associates, a dairy commodities consulting firm in Madison, Wisconsin. Keeping an eye on the far away and diverse markets is what he does. Seeing how it might affect real estate here in Madison is what he does for fun. He's here with a look beyond the 608. Hey, Ben, it's Phil with a view from beyond the 608. It seems to me that being chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States is a thankless job. If things are going well, the politicians take all the credit. If things are going poorly, you can get a lot of the blame and worse yet, be told to figure our way out of the mess. Current Fed Chairman Jerome Powell is facing especially peculiar circumstances. He's been presiding over a period of generally and gradually higher interest rates. The White House is not a big fan. We know this because President Trump regularly tweets his ire. Just last week, for example, the president tweeted out, quote, our most difficult problem is not our competitors, it is the Federal Reserve, end quote. Now, whether by coercion or coincidence, it appears as though the administration is going to get what it wants. The Fed is signaling that it intends to lower interest rates, a process that may begin as early as this month. One thing to note from a real estate perspective, when the Fed changes directions on interest rates, policy tends to stay in that new direction for a lot longer than people think. Looking back several years, the Fed lowered rates beginning in July 2000, a process that didn't end until June of 2004. It raised rates until July of 2007. From there, it lowered rates, a process that didn't reverse until November of 2015. For the past three years, rates have been moving higher. So don't be surprised if in a couple of years from now, we're still talking about steady to lower rates rather than steady to higher. That's all for now, Ben. Until next month, it's Phil. I'm on a place and I lost my mind. Welcome back. Thank you very much, Phil, for that information. You are listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. My name is Adam Elliott and Ben Anton is right across the table Hello. from me. Our in-studio guest is Chris Mickelson. Thank you, Adam. Home inspector, handyman, landlord. Uh, Chris, I don't know. To me, this seems like it's it's a powerful position that you could potentially be in because your information, the things that you provide could really make or break uh, somebody's decision on whether or not to move forward with the house. Sure. Do you do you feel that? Does that weigh on you? Yeah, I think 
uh, a buyer might come in thinking that the house needs nothing, but then, you know, the list turns up that it needs X, Y, and Z, which might throw off their budget a little bit and, yeah. and, uh, and cause a little haze in their golden dreams. Haze in their golden dreams. <laughs> Has anyone ever freaked out from the haze in their golden dreams? Um, actually, yes. I remember <laughs> one getting back to radon. Um, I drop off a radon monitor usually two days before the inspection. So at the inspection, we have the results right away. Not We don't have to wait for a few days to ship it out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the radon level came back, I think it was at 15 Picocuries, which is pretty high. What's Pic- a picocurie? A picocurie. Picocurie is what, what uh, radon is l- measured in. in picocuries. What per liter? Pure liter, correct. Oh my gosh! Um, I just watched Chernobyl on HBO, ooh, and now I'm freaked out yikes. about radiation. <laughs> we won't go into that too much then. Um, and because of the high radon level, the the buyer was really even uncomfortable being in the house during the inspection. Oh. I don't know if that was the deal killer for her, but it certainly was a major influence. Even though uh, taking care of the radon would have been a fairly simple uh, process, given that uh, there wasn't much else wrong with the house. Not a commercial, because Chris didn't even ever tell me this, but (laughs) I I looked for a, a radon guy, and there's a Mickelson... That does it out of mm-hmm. out of or Stout Stoughton, mm-hmm. Oregon. Oregon and I'm Stoughton. Like, I say, Chris, is that your uncle? Yeah, I think I think I met him once. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't sound like they were super close, but um, but yeah, again, was it your uncle? It is my it uncle. Is, yes. <laughs> are you kidding? That are you just like? No, I'm not kidding. Okay. <laughs> I'm not kidding. At, when I got into home inspecting, I did not know that he did radon mitigation systems. Oh. It's just one of those things, and then all of a sudden, oh, hey, yeah, I guess you're right. The other, oh, the other uh, home inspector I mentioned, Ron Miller. Uh-huh. He's uh, his his cousin um, is my furnace guy. Like they didn't know one another either. Or they did, wow. you know, like uh, uh, Gary Miller and Ron Miller. Oh, that's my inspector, and then and then uh, my furnace guy. They got a twenty three me this thing, <laughs> so they can <laughs> figure out who their family is. Um, okay, so tell me what's then? What is the craziest thing that you ever walked into that you had to write down and note? Like, what's the oh, one that boy. just stood out? You're like, whoa, we got to let the people know about this thing. There, going back a little bit, there was a story about a house in Fitchburg that exploded because of an uncapped gas line. I think we might remember that. Sure. Right yeah. at, uh, shortly, yeah. shortly after that, I was in a house that had an uncapped gas line, and I made kind of a big deal about it, left a note to the, the sellers and everything saying, hey, put a cap on this. Just, Literally, uh, put a cap yeah, on put this a cap thing. on it. Close <laughs> it up, seal it up so that doesn't leak any gas. Oh, my gosh. Did you, what about animals? I was hoping for an animal. Do you run into animals? I was in Oxford, Wisconsin, last night doing a log cabin, and there were bats in the attic. Ooh! So that's, this time, <laughs> this time of year, they're they're awake. They were. You could hear them. I before I even went up there, I could hear them squealing, and uh, there was some. Uh, there was a lot of activity going on up there. Oxford, home of the state penitentiary. Oh. For those of you who don't get up to Oxford, I, I very don't often, often, but now I know it's a it's quite it's a really big one. It's, it's a federal. I'm sorry, it's not a state. It's a federal penitentiary in Oxford. Oh. Hmm. 
Remember my old white car, that Crown Victoria? <laughs> I do, yeah. The police car? Yeah. It was formerly of the Oxford Federal Penitentiary. Oh, the stories the car might have. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of time driving the lot. <laughs> so bats, huh? Can you Could you tell, like, hundreds, tens? Well, I didn't fully go up in there because of that. And there, <laughs> and, and, there, and there was not r- real good access up there. All I could hear was... Uh, the bat squealing, and uh, that was enough for me. Gotcha. No belfry references. No belfries, no bells, yeah. nothing. Okay. This is a non sequitur. Well, it's an attic. You're in the attic. Hmm? So it's not a non sequitur. Hmm. I, I wanted to bring up one more thing, because I thought this might be the you should look for one thing. When I said, oh, yeah. if you're going to look right. for one thing, what is it? And Chris got all like concerned about people's health and safety. <laughs> well, I thought I thought that was a lead into the the, the main topic, which was right on. <laughs> I was it's, it's a ma- it's a main it's, topic it's, now. It, it, it is, is now. Yes, <laughs> Chris has chosen to make it a main topic. It's not even radon awareness month, which I think is February. Hmm. I think it might you're be. Right. Is it February? Um, I wanted to make sure we at least mention vermiculite. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because Chris is worried about your safety. So good, good that we bring them along. Yep. I'm worried about your pocketbook <laughs> and okay. your safety, but also your pocketbook. Um, that is one thing that, that, that I often borrow this flashlight for, because I will, I always try to look, you know, he's, he's sticking, but, um, vermiculite. Same thing as we're talking like. We're talking about asbestos. Asbestos. Right? Asbestos. Yeah. Vermiculite is a, uh, is a mined material dug up from the earth. And uh, there were mines of it that had veins of asbestos, which is also a mined material. Mm. Uh, it was sold in the 1950s as an insulating uh, material and can be found in a lot of attics that went through either were built in or went through energy, e- energy efficiency upgrades in the 19th. 19- 1950s. Okay. So asbestos, sometimes they think that is fire protection, right? It, I, it, I believe it, it was a really good fire, fireproof material. Anybody who's watched an episode of Emergency <laughs> <laughs> knows that when Squad 51 gets on the scene mm-hmm. and they need to use their big saw, like the saw that cuts through the car uh-huh. and throws the sparks, right? do you know what they get out first? I don't know. The asbestos blanket. Put this over your head so nothing bad happens. Literally, to you. <laughs> they send what is it, John, Johnny, John, and anyway, get the <laughs> asbestos blanket from the truck, lay it over the victim, oh my use the saw. So yes, it's fire retardant, but it also but it is also, also is light and fluffy and had some kind of an R value. Oh my gosh. Um, but that can cost a couple. That can be a several thousand dollar bill if you find a big attic full of that stuff. Found any of those? Oh yeah, you have. We, okay. we have. In fact, we yeah. we found one on uh, on Mifflin uh, just a few maybe a month ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that house has closed, but we were able to negotiate uh, the price. So, and uh, fortunately, these buyers were going to have enough cash after the close that they could take care of it themselves. So they said, take it off the price. Um, we got an estimate from. Uh, Madison, let's see, Madison Asbestos, I think, or MadisonAsbestos.com. I think I can't remember the name of the company, but that's their website. Uh, decent people. Um, they are also able to connect you with a trust fund, just like if you if you've watched daytime television, and the gentleman asks you if you're related to a ship worker or someone who worked in the someone who worked in the automotive industry, mm-hmm. you may be entitled. 
Those same kind of class action lawsuits were were put against the asbestos insulation industry. Right. Mesothelioma. Mesothelioma. This is what we're talking about. Yep. Yes. And it's in uh, the commercial. There are trust funds established to help uh, homeowners pay for the cost of remediation as well as reinsulation. Oh. Half, I believe it's 50%. If they can prove, if you can prove via a, a simple test that your asbestos came from the, the mines in question, um, you can receive up to $8,000 or 50% of the cost of mitigation and reinsulation. Oh. So good. that's something it's something good, good to, know. to know. Something good for Chris to find, something good for, for myself or uh, your asbestos m- removal uh, contractor to connect you with. Is this the main event we have? You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. Hey, Ben, what was that? That was as... As we just learned, episode seven. We learned it late in the game seven. this time, but that's good. Seven. Lucky seven. Good. Excellent. It was a great talk with, with Home Inspector Chris Mickelson. Chris is fantastic. Very informative. I feel like I learned something today. Well, I, I hey, that's what this is about, Adam. That's what this was about. Surrounding ourselves with people smarter than we are. Yeah. So what were the things that you picked up from this show? I know I learned the square footage rule. That's, well, well that just that, that square footage can yeah. be a uh, an important way to try to compare apples to apples, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. But then we also, you know, here's my one thing. If I say one thing about square footage, if you're comparing apples to apples, basement square footage is not as valuable as upstairs square footage. Mm. So when you look at total square footage, two houses, 2,000 square feet each, the square footage of one house is all on the first floor. Square footage of the other is split 50 50. Mm-hmm. The dollars per square foot will be higher on the house with all the above grade square foot. Would you go footage. deeper into that and say, like, more kitchen square footage of, is, is of higher value than other square footage? I would go further in that saying that when someone shoots out a number as to how much does it cost to remodel, mm-hmm. and they're talking about, well, it's going to be $150 a square foot. Mm-hmm. Um, most of those, uh, the kitchen square feet are actually quite expensive and the middle of the living room floor square feet are quite affordable, <laughs> but those are all averages. I'm going to stay in the living room, I think. <laughs> that middle, the middle of the living room floor, 15 bucks a square foot. No problem. That's right. I think the one fact that I really walked away with is the, the thing that Chris said that pretty much anything is fixable. And I think he had the caveat if you're willing to pay for it. <laughs> right, well, and that's something, that's something that's come up in a yeah. couple of our episodes. One with Dorotea when we talked about kitchen remodels. Mm-hmm. The, the answer to the question is to uh, the question, is this wall load bearing? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important question. Can I take it out? With the, with the right amount of money, you can do anything. <laughs> and, that, and that plays a role, too, in the home inspections in understanding what needs to happen right away yeah. and, uh, and being educated, um, having an idea as to how long your appliances may last, mm-hmm. you know, get, mm-hmm. and, and budgeting, escrowing, putting money aside for, for bigger projects while you take care of the little things that you can right away. Okay. If I wanted a readable version of Real Estate in the 608, is there something like that available to me? I don't know. If you wanted to read something akin to the top of the hour tip that might be called a market update, or, you know, I would subscribe 
to the twenty second, twenty second read. Oh, that's a fantastic! It's idea. kind, of, it's yeah. kind of a, it's kind of a podcast for your eyes. Mm, yeah, I like the way uh, it comes out on the twenty second. You can visit in the six oh eight on Facebook and click sign up, and uh, and by doing so, you will uh, on the twenty second receive the twenty second, twenty second read, my newsletter written in easy to digest segments, taking no longer than twenty seconds to read. Yeah, arriving on the twenty second. And while, thing. while you're on Facebook, you could look at some of the interesting photos. You have a lot of uh, home remodels and th- just kind of like home stuff that you see that kind of sticks out like, oh. Yeah. Like today, thought about like that. today when I was cursing the sliding doors on that closet. <laughs> oh, God, I hate those things. <laughs> I, there was, Rhonda made three trips to Menards for different sized. Oh, I just wanted, I was like, uh, bifold doors are probably even worse, but those the sliding ones, ugh. <laughs> Closet doors. What do you recommend? Just take them off or put like... Curtain. Beads, shades, curtains. (laughs) Might be time for a curtain. Uh, Okay, Ben. Um, We're just about to wrap this thing up here. Uh, Let's say thanks to all our musical... Not musical guests, but our our contributors. They're guests of ours, but contributing music is definitely what they do. Uh, Those artists might include Renclaw, L. Donk, new to the series, or newer, I should say. They've they made it, they, I think around. they made it into episode six. Yeah, they sound fantastic. Bob Westfall as well. Seesaw. And the Mad City Drug Band. Thank you, Adam. Thank you so much, Ben. Um, if I do see you out in the world, where am I going to see you at? It's festival season. It is festival season. Where am I going to see you, Adam? Yeah, you're going to see me, I think, once again on the bike path. The newly paved bike path. So nice. I feel like my bike goes faster. I'm sure it does. Straight to the ice cream shop. (laughs) All right, Ben, take it easy. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fist curled up in a schoolyard fight? I'll be a backup when you're calling my name. Come on, baby, won't you keep me safer than that high score on that pinball game? You're always playing at your favorite arcade. Amber could be taking the Come on, baby, won't you buy me flowers with that money spent on whiskey sours that you're buying at those wasted hours? And come on, baby, won't you talk me sweet? Instead, I'm staring at this empty seat because you got someone else you'd rather me And we could be. Waiting here all 
wait long and so I'm singing you this waiting song.